Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Motown Records is one of the most successful and influential record labels in music history. Between 1961 and 1971, they produced a staggering 110 top 10 hits from artists like Smokey, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, The Four Tops, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Martha Reeves and the Vandells. You know these songs. But do you know who played the music on them? Behind all of this amazing music and the Motown sound was a relatively unknown group of studio musicians called the Funk Brothers, who played on every single one of those hits. They're the most successful group of studio musicians ever assembled, and almost nobody knows their story until tonight. On this episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're taking a trip to Hitsville, USA, to tell the story of this forgotten group of artists. We're going to honor the Funk Brothers, play some tunes, and dive into what they did to make the unforgettable Motown sound. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 27. Every girl crazy about a sharp-dressed man. And it just so happens that I'm here tonight with two of the sharpest-dressed men in podcast land, the funkiest funk brothers, Mr. Doug McCusker and Mr. Ryan McCusker. Hey, what's going on? Are you rocking out there? Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia, and our show is proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Tonight, we are going to Hitsville, USA. Let's go. Motown, baby. Dude, it's a huge piece of American music. Yeah. Like, it's most, it's one of the most important pieces of American I music, think, in my opinion. Yeah, I also think it's one of the few American true art forms of America. Sure. You know, our rhythm and blues is an American form thing. This is, this is just straight up classic americana like culturally musically but then you look at the, you look at what motown put out and it's different music than other r&b in the country if that kind of makes sense it has its own feel it has its own sound it has its own attitude this is before like um a lot of those other those other record companies came into business mm-hmm. barry gordy was one of the, the pioneers of this kind of music to for african-american to, music yeah yeah okay so you know, they were around before Chess and like all these other. Barry Gordy founded Motown in April of 1960. Okay, he also owned another record company very briefly, and he formed that in 1959. Okay, so there was only about a year that he he was in the business without being called Motown. But they had a huge hit. They had a bunch of hits. But one of the biggest hits was Please Mr. Postman. Yeah, the Beatles did it and everything like that. Yeah, this is like before like really rock and roll before the Beatles even like took off and like the Stones and this and that. So, you know, it's not jazz. It's not rock and no. roll. You have like Elvis Presley kind of going it's on. It's like almost before. But I don't want to say it because there's probably comic book guys out there. Yeah. But it was like almost kind of before rock and roll. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was 1959, 1960. Yeah. Let's hear that Please Mr. Postman. Oh, yeah. Is there a in your pants or knees, Mr. Bowman? Oh, yeah. 
Like to me, that's the sound sound of innocence. It was way before Kennedy got shot. Yeah. You know, but I like as I'm listening to it, like I think it's a little bit more dangerous than like your average like Elvis Presley, your average like uh, your Roy Orbison, your this, your that. Like it has a lot more going on musically than so anything they, that was they, going on. They yeah. had they had some great musicians playing for sure. them. You know, it wasn't just a bunch of guys getting yeah. together. He these guys were yeah. trained to play. Yeah. To play together. It's like, you know? like I guess what I'm getting at is more inventive. You know what I mean? It's a bit more musically inventive. Musically inventive. Yeah, yeah. man. So maybe maybe let, let, let's get into the band. But yeah. Maybe before that, let me just kind of, a couple notes I had about Motown. I mean, they are, it's one of the most popular and important independent record labels. It's one of the most important record labels, period. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was an independent label owned by an African-American in the 60s where like you know it's not even they have not like this is years before Martin Luther King and the yeah. civil rights movement you yeah. know and these guys were were being successful and you know so the guy who started Barry Gordy was you know he he lived in Detroit like a lot of other African Americans at that time like his family moves up to Detroit from the deep south just like we talked about in the blues episode a lot of guys people were getting out of the really yeah. racist south or they went to the, they didn't want to work agriculture anymore so they went where like factory jobs were so they went to detroit to work in the auto plants sure. and he worked in in the ford plant and he was a independent songwriter and a record producer he wrote a couple songs for for jackie wilson that jackie mm-hmm. wilson recorded mm-hmm. but he was never like huge and then he met Smokey robinson and and Smokey convinced him like you got to have a record label and i'll you know me and the miracles will be your first act and then yeah, you know, he he borrowed eight hundred dollars from his family. Doug, I think you said you know where what where that money came. Yeah, from. like his parents. Like, you know, I'm sorry, it was his family. Like, they had a background of like being pimps and like I don't necessarily say necessarily want to say drug dealers or anything like that, but definitely loan sharking and like gangsters, gangsters, basically. Hmm. Yeah, and hmm. then so he he started Tamla Records, and that stuck around for a little while, and then event he started. Motortown Records or Motown, which was supposed to be Motortown. Mm, and yeah. he really, like, I found this fascinating. So he looked at, like, he was fascinated by how, like, the auto industry built cars, the assembly line. And he was like, I want to do that with music. And he almost had to focus on being really, really efficient in how he ran his business because it was such a small operation. But how do you do that, like, creatively when you're creatively making He had music? a vision. He had you a know, vision right the, off the bat. The, the way that his mind must have worked. It's just, he had a, like Ryan, like you said, like he had a vision, he had a goal. He yeah. saw he saw making something classy, mm-hmm. like Motown sound is very classy. Sure, that's an awesome, awesome point. Yeah. You're right. You know, like you hear Motown, you think of the tops, you think of the temps, and you know they got Supremes. they got the all dressed up, they got the suits on. You know, the Supremes had these elegant dresses on that were on the cover of Vogue magazine, and here are these like these these black guys and black women. Wearing this huge fashion, making fashion, making fashion popular, and and if you, you know? if you think about it in that context, Motown and those artists had a huge role in the racial integration of music. Yeah. And what's even funny about that, like you know, like they're trying to pull off this uh, this image of being classy and this that. And it's really interesting that Barry Gordy made a lot of his acts go to kind of like like finishing not, school. The finishing school. He had it. They, they had to act them like. That was yeah. They, they should yeah. They had a department in Motown that taught the artists how to dress, act, choreograph. They were instructed like 
you don't sing it's not overly sexual yeah. you yeah. don't get overly political yeah. and so like you know what's he's running, going on yeah. Yeah. he's running a business like, yeah you know I mean? it was like you have to yeah. conduct yourselves a certain way they part were like, of it part, and, part of it is they want motown you know what's but, crazy is that they he molded icons he molded a certain way to act and everybody looked up to Motown singers and Motown thing that. So they were like, oh, I want to be like, I want to be like Marvin Gaye, clean cut. And, you know, it was a, it was a scene. And I think that also that he, Barry Gordy didn't want, like he's, cause he's doing something that nobody has attempted to do before. So he didn't want to have anybody that had the opportunity to be like, oh, well, they're just this and they're just that from Detroit and whatever. So he, he covered all of his bases to make sure all his acts were represented correctly the way that America that they thought America should be on television. Yeah, America viewed. Yeah, because um, they would have been called America out. Man, viewed, you know? America viewed black Americans uh, one way, but when Motown came through, like I said, it made it made everything look classy. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, like all the effort that went into what Barry Gordy did for these people. Sure. To to make them artists. You know, it was they would have been nothing without Barry. The only, the only other like African American artist I could think of that were like around it that was like Chuck Berry, sure, right? Yeah. And and that is yeah. that is he's just kicking down the door. But yeah. that's like rock and roll, yeah. right? Yeah, you right. Know? And I've always like there was always something about the Supremes that I just I really liked. I always dismissively was like, oh they're just sexy like the way they move. But I was like, no, it's class. Absolutely, yeah. it's the way you know like in those gowns and the way they the harmonies and everything and that that's it was just the image of all yeah. of that was well, really cool well motown's a brand and he wants to make sure that his his Absolutely, brand man. is represented correctly so maybe let me let me finish telling the story man so smoke so or i'm sorry barry gordy starts his he starts a record label and he gets a little bit of money and he buys just a house at 2648 west grand boy went the song smokey yeah. wrote all the songs all that early stuff smokey so, wrote so motown would be nothing without smokey rock yeah. totally so he he opened this you know he buys his house the offices are in like the upstairs and then the, the garage they just the garage still had a dirt floor yeah when yeah. they first started and he said they hung carpets on the cinder block walls and the, they had so much crap like wires and electronic equipment right it was called the snake pit the snake yeah. pit they had so many cables hanging down and then they just they were open 22 hours a day and it was just it was a factory it was but, a factory like, of music going back to that room they worked really hard trying to capture that that perfect setting to record in they would try everything like they had they had blankets they had boxes they had they tried everything on under that was in their possession that they could make this place sound perfect Barry Gordy put a lot of money in sure he did in, into good equipment. Yeah, he used the best equipment that was offered at the time. I think that's also was a big part of the Motown sound. That equipment was used on every Motown song. So you said the company that he owned before Motown. What was the name of the company prior to Hamler Records? And he had yeah. a modest hit with who? He had a hit with um, "Please, Mr. Postman." Please, Mr. Postman. Yeah. So did he? I guess he used those royalties for that song to to back yeah, Motown maybe. to create like maybe. everything you know in the actual location. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, you know, you're like, building, you're, use you're, all those royalties to, yeah. to you know or invest, whatever he got paid. Yeah. Invest into your future. You know, what your vision is how yeah. much you think that house was. How much you think he paid for that house back in 1960? The first, like the first hit they had was um, "Money" by right. Barrett Strong. Right here, I'll play a little bit of it.
did Barry claim that? Did he write that song, or who actually wrote the song? It was written. It was Barry Gordy did write. There you go. Yeah, very cool. He had one thing on his mind: money. Yeah. So he's got the building. He's got the vision. Before he starts signing all the artists and churning everything out, he needs a band. Yeah. He tries all over. He tried all over Detroit to find the best jazz players he could find. You know, and he pulled together this this group, these this group of studio musicians, man. And, and that's they, interesting. He didn't go toward blues players; he went toward jazz musicians. I think it was a whole other thing. Like we talk about, like Chicago, and mm-hmm. Chicago has that is a blues town, sure. And I think Barry was like, "Well, I'm going to be in Detroit, and I'm going to do something completely sure. different. It's not going to sound anything like rock and roll." Because he had something, because he wanted to do something new. Like, I mean, he wanted Detroit to have its own sound, like you said. Yeah. But it's like blues. All right. People's been there, done that. Let's try something else, something a little bit more like complex, a little little bit more inventive, uh, and something that nobody's really heard before. And I think he accomplished it. I think Barry Gordy saw people dancing. And he was like, I want to make music that people can, they don't even have to think. They just, do it with their feet. And so he's, he pulls together this band and they become like, he, he puts them on a salary. Mm. So they're not just like studio, you know, these random studio musicians that drop in. And so they become like the, they're the backbone of everything that Motown did. But Barry Gordy didn't see what they did as that important in terms that like they never got credit. They were never on any until, until the very, until the seventies, like yeah. the very, very end. I'm going to read some of these guys' names off. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. dude. So wait, wait, before you start that. So, I read some def- some different definitions on like who were the funk brothers, yeah. and yeah. some people said like some people say well anybody who ever played on an instrument on any yeah is a is a funk some brother guy that played on a B side right that song that never made it out which oh, is yeah. which is funny because like Marvin Gaye plays drums on a couple Motown yeah. songs so he's <laughs> yeah. list- like okay he's, he's, he's a, a funk yeah but there was um there's there's a guy from Philadelphia named Alan Slutsky who wrote a book called Standing in the Shadow of Motown that also became a movie. And he defined it as like 13 people. And yeah. I think there's like eight or nine of them. He, that said, like really- he said, you know, there was a million guys that could have been a funk brother, but only eight of them changed the world. Yeah. That's so, amazing. So we're going to focus on on those that, that Alan Slutsky yeah. said mm-hmm. that, that he defined. So yeah, go ahead, man. Hey, early members include band leader Joe Hunter and Earl Van Dyke. They both played piano and organ. The very famous James Jamerson played bass guitar. All those riffs, all those grooves, that was that was James. He yeah. was, we'll, we'll talk about we'll him talk in a little bit. Yeah. Benny Papazita Benjamin and Richard Pistol Allen were the drum players. Pistol Allen was the one that played first on, that won all those first hits. Um, Papazita came a little bit later, but they both ultimately played together on all those hits. On the trombone, you had Paul Reiser. Robert White, Eddie Wills, and Joe Messing as on the guitar. Jack Asford on tambourine. You know, we just heard the tambourine on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, this guy played tambourine professionally. They paid somebody to play the tambourine professionally. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. The bongo player was Eddie Brown, and there's a great story about Eddie Brown. They were saying they would um, pass out music sheets, like, "All right, guys, these yes. are the, these are the sheets, and you have to follow the charts to play the songs." And they give him. He's like, "All right, man. All right, man." He'd have it up there. But then he, instead of like, you'd be looking at a nudie magazine. Yeah, they'd be like, <laughs> yeah. man, he's really yeah. he's studying like, this stuff. He's yeah. like, they can't, he can't even read that, man. Everybody's laughing because they know he's looking at a nudie magazine. He can't read music. <laughs> but, you know, all these guys, uh, Bob Abbott and Dennis Coffey, they both played guitar. And the list goes on and on and on. But the, some of the guys that I just named 
were the Funk Brothers, the real Funk. Only two of them are still alive. So okay. they're all. It's uh, Jack Ashford, who the tambourine, and Joe Messina, one of the guitar players. All the other ones are are, are passed away. When you mentioned the tambourine, I was like, that's such a, a key part of the sound of Motown. And as we said we were going to do this episode, I started, you know, you go back and you listen to all this amazing music. And I was really trying to, like, focus my ear to listen past the artists and listen to, like, what was going on musically. And that's it, hard to do. To but look past it, everything and just, just to try like to focus. focus into the We were trying to do that this week. I was like, look past the singing and let's just listen to the band. It's like... We were, after a while, I was like, I feel like I'm listening to the band, and the the singers are just guest people, guest singers. Yeah, because it's the same band. They have all these different bands, like the Temps and the, and all these other bands, or these other singers, but it's the same band, yeah. backing them all up. Yeah, it's really you could look at it like it's the Motown band with different singers. Yeah. So it's a, a cool way to look at it. But I, then I started doing some research, like what is that Motown sound? What are some of the attributes of it? And I, I did come up with a couple things. So the tambourines always go with the backbeat. Yeah. Um, and you're yeah. like, you know, some of the stuff you hear it, and you just immediately start thinking of some of these songs in your head, and you're like, oh, of course. It's just amazing they have a, a guy labeled as the tambourine player. That's all he did, right? Damn. The electric bass. You know, so sure. what, we're going to talk about James Jamerson yeah. and what the impact that he had. A lot of the singing has like a call and response four beat drum pattern horns and strings when they did production they would always take the high range frequencies and they would raise it up and give it that that kind of distinct sound did you hear it in kind of like in mr postman like mm. the the top range of it, it sounds really high there's more than one drummer on almost every one of these tracks and there's three or four guitar players on every one of these songs so there's a like there's just a lot of stuff a lot of hand going clapping on too. there's a lot yeah, of hand yeah, clapping yeah, right. in a lot of the songs you know yeah. you know the they, there was no overdubs back then. It was all one shot, one take, and that's yeah. it. You know, somebody messed up. Oh, we got to start all over. That's again. That's another great point that they cut almost all these songs in one in yeah. one take yeah. without the overdubs. All in that, all in that, the the snake pit. All a just a small board, yeah. room. Like, just picture your garage and trying to make all these hits in a garage. It's pretty amazing. It's, you, it takes another level, Garage Band. Absolutely, you like, the level of the musicians that could pull off, or even the vocalists. It's like the level of talent that is in this room that are creating something that has never been done before, a sound never been done before. Well, I don't know about that. Ray Charles is kind of around, like he was kind of putting out albums or anything like that. So I can't, even though Ray Charles isn't on Motown, it's kind of like the same kind of feel. Like I guess, but that's what Barry's trying to accomplish, like that Ray Charles kind of orchestrate orchestrated type music i guess i don't yeah. know you know one thing i liked about the guitar session too was um you know barry gordy didn't doug you were saying this we were setting up our gear they're like barry gordy didn't care if it was white guy black guy yeah. like and they all jokingly we called the guitar the three guitars the the oreo cookie yeah the oreo cookie guitars because it was two african-american guys and a white guy yeah so they always made the they always made the white guy sit in the middle yeah between the two black guys but like you know with barry gordy starting like an the first african-american music label you know he didn't really see color he just wanted people who do the best at what they do and that's who he wanted to work for him i think at a point he wanted to bring his people up to another level sure you know he uh knew what the stars were the limits Mm -hmm. and he knew that the talent could take you anywhere you know but and marketing it Right, you know, like TV was like not brand new at that time, but like you had more stuff coming on rather be just the news, and you had more late shows and like, more uh, a, more of a platform to show your product. We were talking you know? earlier, Bruce, that you know, on that Please, Mister Postman first single, 
there was no yeah. African Americans on the album cover. Yeah, it's like a cartoon yeah. kind of like a mailbox. Yeah, yeah they don't they don't show them because even then, like back in that era, you had African Americans were writing music, and then the record labels were going like, "Okay, it's a cool cool song," and they'd go get a white guy to play it. Yeah. Like, and um, I think Pat one of the Boone and shit. Yeah, one of the yeah. documentaries I was looking at, they were talking. It was like Blueberry Hill by Fats Domino, and they were showing. I think it was Pat Boone, or it was another some white dude just mm. singing it because they were afraid of and I was like what the hell intimidating about Fats Domino yep. but, but you gotta think about like where America is at that time and then like Motown like it, like it was like a weed just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you weren't allowed to have a lot of black people on television back then like it was like a no-no but here you go here are these acts who are very elegant going back to that very classy this and that to on television, and you wouldn't, you would never see that. And they all went like, um, they did a thing called like the the they called it the Motortown Review, and then it became the Motown Review, where a lot of them would all go out on tour together. Yeah. Well, they Which, had the band. They only had need one band. Well, they didn't bring the band. Really? They, they said they didn't, they almost never went on tour. No shit. They, they, would, so they, they were, were too busy there. working in the studio, yeah, right? So some of these acts would go out, and whoever would stay would stick with the band. Okay. So they tried going out with Jackie Wilson one time, and they actually sing. They they play on the back of um Higher and Higher. By Jackie Wilson, okay. so they, they moonlighted like a little bit, but then Barry Gordy found out they were doing that, and he they like they he started finding them. Yeah. But they tried going out on tour with Jackie Wilson, and Jackie Wilson was recovering from a gunshot wound, wow. so he could only play like two nights a week. Mm. And the Funk Brothers were like, "We got to get back in the studio, dude. We got to make money." Sure, yeah, so. I, I, yeah, I did hear that. But these, before. but these guys, like, so the Motown Review, they would go around and they'd have to bring a tour bus, and they had to sleep in the tour bus because they couldn't stay in hotels. Yeah, that's yeah. awful. They weren't they weren't racially allowed yeah. to. So just like how groundbreaking this music is. And they still did it. They still went and did those shows. It's crazy. It's like music is stronger than all that bullshit. Yeah. You know, they were, they were bringing the music to the people and, you know, white, black, whoever was dancing to this music, that's all that mattered. And they were like, they would uh, have white kids on one side and the black kids on the other side. And by the end of the show, everybody's just dancing together. Yeah. My mom is in her seventies and she still goes out dancing a couple of days a week. Very nice. And, to this music, man. That's awesome. And this is like, when I told my mom, this is the episode we were doing. She's like, I'm going to check this out. So I'm trying to not curse and trying Hi, to behave myself. Hey mom. hey mom. But it was like, one, it makes me want to like be very delicate at how we handle this this subject. But it was like, yeah, man, this is the stuff that was playing in my house all the time growing it's up. Same here, you know. Like yeah. we, uh, yeah, we both have a big, huge. We all have a big, huge rock and roll background. But this was an absolute staple into our our music taste. Today. It seemed like every you know? Saturday night, my dad had um, the radio blasting with these Motown songs. Yeah. yeah. I remember like my parents put on like the oldies channel on the radio and it was like Motown hit. They're timeless. These yeah. songs. Like, yeah. like you said, like oldies, I never considered anything from Motown oldies. Like it's not doo wop. It's not like corny yeah. shit. Like Motown is something completely different. I never considered it. It's Motown music. It's Motown. It's Motown. It's just a, yeah, it's cultural. And yeah. you know, like, so the Beatles are coming over. And the Beatles are having all these hits, and it's like, and if there was an American song that was countering the Beatles or fighting them on the on the record charts, it was a Motown artist. Yeah, you know, to the point that like the Beatles start covering Motown stuff, sure. the Stones started covering early Motown in, the, stuff. in the career, or early in the Beatles' career, they covered a lot of Motowns. They covered Money. They called. They covered Mister Postman. You know, because this is what these guys like. This was the the real deal. You know, you had your Elvis. You had your, you know, like uh, I don't know, Ricky Nelson and this and that, which was cool in their eyes. But then you had this. I don't know. I don't want to call it dangerous, more music, but more rock and roll. More you could put a faster beat to it. 
you know. Yeah, it's it's like so rock and roll starts probably scaring people because it's shaking up the establishment. And this just goes in another. Yeah, you know, it's not Elvis shaking Shake, his hips and yeah. scaring the hell out of everybody. I it's think the people going in the other direction. Yeah. I think it, um, even the parents at the time could get into some of these songs. Sure, it was everybody's alley. It was up everybody's alley. You know, if you if you liked, uh, I don't know some mario lanza if you if you, that that was what music was before yeah. there was motown because they marketed it right you know they they sold it right so where everybody can identify with it you yeah, know I if did. you're a kid so if you're, you're like you said you know like you and your parents could sit around and listen to it you know our dad over there see how everybody took it back then but i think you know it was easier to listen to you know it, it's easy to listen to it's four on the floor it makes you want to dance. Sure. I found a, a quote somewhere in my notes. He said, the world's dance floors didn't stand a chance yeah, with this yeah. stuff. They, and they, they marketed the, the stuff as like the song of the young America, the sound of young America or something like that. It, I agree it with that. It had nothing to do with... Because the world was changing. Right. Like, it was changing. Like, yeah. you know, civil rights was coming in and this was like, this had a front, this was, this was the foot on the gas. This was one of them anyway. No, it's great about these songs. It's like you, you, you watch TV and you so they show something on history or like that, and these are the songs that you hear through that those time periods. Sure, yeah, man. We haven't played a song in like five minutes. We I feel like we need to. What do you want to play? Let's hear it through the grapevine. We could do another. We could do a whole show on him too. But and as we were playing that, I could feel the vibration of the bass in my one earphone, and that's James Jamerson. Yeah, he's the man. He's the best bass player ever. He's greatest of all time. I mean, people talk about Jaco Pastorius being the greatest bass player ever. Jaco Pastorius been playing all these hits. Yeah, you know, like this guy made people dance. Yeah, they said he played on. 23 number one hits and 56 number one R&B hits. He played on about 95% of everything, every single recording that Motown did from 62 to 68. And it's like, but if you're not a musician, you do you not you have no knows. idea no. who this dude is. No, no it's a shame. It's like the, he's he made the soundtrack of our lives. And this guy, you know, he was an interesting player. He only played with one finger. You I know, read that. Yeah, He only played with one finger, and he never moved his hand away from the first eight frets. Of his bass. He never climbed the pie on the neck. You know what I mean? He always just played in that first position and maybe moved like one over. See, I just learned all this in the quarantine because I relearned my instrument. And I talked to a good friend of Ryan's and mine. He was in Ryan's band. Our buddy Mike Gordon, we call him Flash. And uh, he's like, man, just get into this. Get into this. So I really dove into this. Like, I mean, as they say, if you're brilliant, you're crazy. Yeah. And I really think he was fighting demons, Jamerson. He was a bad alcoholic. Yeah. He he was brought up really bad. He was really abused in life. Yeah. But he had this natural God talent. Yeah. And and look at all the happiness that he brings people to this day. They said that he would uh, like he would study like he'd hand him the chord sheet beforehand. Mm-hmm. He would study it 
And then once he started playing, he just I know. Oh, that, yeah. That's yeah. He's, He's like, like you want normal. me to play this? He's and like, he yeah, I played he, better than this. And he yeah. said, like, he said his dad told him, if you don't feel it, don't play it. Absolutely. So they said he would get inspired. Like he told a story. He came up with a baseline by watching a large woman walking in front of sure. him and watching her ass. Yeah, I read that before. And it just yeah. came up like a like boom, a. Yeah. Boom, you just boom, find boom, the music. Boom. He's one of those dudes who just finds the music and the rhythm in everything in the world. But what's really great about his playing is, man, like it's like. One of my favorite thing that Ryan's always said is about the notes that you don't play. You know what I mean? It's like the simple, like simple, 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 simple. Let's play another song. Let's play like a Rolling Stone. And let's listen to James Jamerson's bass in the beginning of this song. You mean Papa was a Rolling Stone? Papa was a Rolling Stone. By the Temptations. Yeah. Here you go. Like I said, simple is better. You know, not – how can I say this without insulting anybody in the music life or history or anything like that? Comic book guys. Comic book guys. Miles Davis could only do it justice playing two notes. He's just boom, 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 boom. He's playing two notes, and look what he's doing with those notes. Yeah. It sounds like Miles Davis when he plays So What. Ba-dum. Ba-dum. He's playing two notes, but yeah. look what he's doing with it. He died really young. He was like 47. Yeah. And he said he yeah. was an alcoholic and yeah. everything. I looked up. So he there's two guys from the Funk Brothers that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's Him. amazing by itself. Yeah. That's really And travesty. the fact that they, they've never even like posthumously put them in yeah. as like influencers. You know, they're they're on the, they got a lifetime Grammy Award. They're in the musicians hall of fame. And um they have a star on the rock and roll or the star on the Hollywood, Hollywood Rock of Fame, yeah. but it was like you know, only two of the guys are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I went and I, and I looked up his, when was he inducted, and he was inducted in uh, 2000. And Alan Slutsky, the guy who wrote the book, mm-hmm. yeah. gave wrote the the essay. You know, they handed that little book the essays, and I had a quote in it. They said that he played he played with previously unheard of levels of complexity, power, invention, and emotion, which effortlessly flowed through Jameson's powerful bear claw hands in the 6-2 Fender Precision Bass he affectionately dubbed the Funk Machine. Wow. Damn straight. And it was like like the, I think this was in one of the documentaries that I watched, like the the electric bass is still a relatively new instrument when this dude starts recording, yeah, right? He was, the like, upright yeah. he was yeah. a great upright bass player. Yeah. He was an amazing upright yeah. bass player. And even when you see him play it, he's he I does hold it, it up, like yeah. a like kind of like he's playing an upright. Yeah. He but the, like not to get too dorky, but like how he got his sound is because of the stand up bass. He does like on bass strings, you have round wound and flat wounds. Flat wounds is more of like kind of like that stand up bass sound, so that's why he has that sound. You have that more of that warm feeling, and I recently just started doing that myself. And a, a few of my other friends I talked to, they play this. They use hmm. the same kind of string, so his sound is is based on a flat string rather than it's it's round wound like a wire just round over and over and over again. So like that's a big part of his sound. He has a it. he has a few um, solo stuff. That we could play on. That'd be great. That. Let's play a song called Fever in the Funk House. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that that was just a little bit of him grooving. You know, this, I think these recordings came out in late seventies, early eighties. It's it sounds a little dated in my opinion, mm. um, but the magic's there. You know, you can plain as day know that is James Jamerson playing bass. So it's like, so the brilliance is almost in the simplicity, right? Because he's playing with one finger, he can only sure. do you physically but can only fast. do too much. He's fast, but he's not like Les Claypool. No. You know, like, I, I, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I don't think but, Cliff. I don't think Les Claypool can play simple enough. Oh yeah. Just, just I, obviously he can play yeah. whatever he wants. Yeah. But to play such a simple, simple, right. simple thing is is it hurts his feelings. Yeah, and Les Claypool's music is about Les Claypool's, yeah. you know, and his eccentricity. Yeah. But James Jamerson is considered the greatest bass player of all time, and it's like if you're not. Like you're laying down a field, like yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a bass player's you're not- job. Like you know, you're laying down a foundation, and you like, and it's perfect for what Motown was doing with the rest of the Funk Brothers. You like, you hear the horns in that recording, you hear the guitar, you have all this other stuff, but you had that root, and it's a simple thing, you know, simple sound. Jamerson, like I was saying earlier, was a really bad alcoholic, and he needed a babysitter all the time. The guys in the band, like, whose turn is it to take care of him tonight? Which was which was a pain in the balls. Nobody could say anything because he was this brilliant musician. He he was a train wreck though. Like he was always hanging out in bars when they're trying to find him. They couldn't find him. He would be passed out drunk somewhere. They'd sober him up to get to play play tunes. Yeah, when they when Marvin Gaye wanted to do what's going on, he wanted yeah. him to play and they couldn't find him. And but, they finally found him in a bar and they took him back to the studio, and he was so drunk he couldn't even stand up. He plays the bass line for that song. He's laying on his back on the floor, yeah. and he played yeah. it like half passed out. Yeah, so wow. Really famous. And he did it in one take, right? I'm sure he did. Yeah, I think he did it in one take. I'm sure he did. He was, he was something, I tell you. It's a shame. Um, later in life, he had a lot of hanger honors, everybody telling him how great he was. He moved out to L.A. when Barry Gordy moved Motown out to L.A., in Detroit, James Jamerson was a king. He was nobody could play like him in Detroit. Yeah. He was just amazing. When he got to California, he was just another bass player. That's crazy. But and like, you- but the thing that I was wondering about, all right, he's just another bass player, but how many bass players did he influence to play the bass even at that time? So here he comes in and guys like, Oh, I I, I loved you on this album, I loved you in this album, but I'm gonna take your job. Sure. Yeah, well, yeah. hey, hey, dog eat dog world. But at the same time, like he's just another bass player. But dude, look at all the hits that he had yeah. before he before Barry even went to California. Yeah, I mean, that's it's dude. Barry's a piece of shit for doing like to do all that. Yeah. Is Barry Gordy shitbag of the week? Uh he very well might be, man. All right, yeah, we can make him the shitbag. Even of the though week. this is a, like his his episode. Yeah, that's all right. Well, I here. just really, I just that when I, no, I just find that real. Like when I found that he, out a few years ago, that really like he, changed my attitude toward him. <laughs> He basically did the Colts in the middle of the night. <laughs> he moved in the middle of the night like the Colts. So it was what, 72? Yeah. 72. Yeah, man. Let me, before we keep talking about the band, let's just talk about this real quick. So Motown goes Hollywood. You know, like in the mid 60s, they open a they open an office in LA and they slowly start doing some more stuff out there. Like the Jackson 5 yeah, did yeah. all their recordings yeah. out there. Yeah. Motown winds up buying like a record label out there or a, a distribution and they had mm. their own house band. Um 
the the wrecking crew is out there yeah. they're doing some stuff another great band you, the the nail in the coffin was when motown's general manager in 1970 gives an interview to jet and he goes we are emphatically staying in detroit mm. which means two <laughs> years later they left yeah and he just um he they moved but you're you right know, but what it comes down to it comes down to money do you think those guys wanted to get paid more money and barry's like like I, I like everybody likes money and like you could be like I played on this song this song this song I'm this sure. song yeah I'm sure know? but Barry when it stars in his stuff and he have to go where the stars are and the stars are in Hollywood but to leave these guys behind he didn't give a fuck yeah he, he was said, just like said, you played on these albums you got paid in his eyes he got they got paid well he got yeah. they got paid better than they should have probably and these and like you go down the line of the music history of of every band that ever kind of be in there you've made a bad deal like it's a shame that these guys didn't get writing credits it's a shame that these guys didn't get a piece of they didn't think much they, of it they, they got paid, were jazz they got, dudes yeah, they man. Just got paid for for the they were jazz guys week, and they were probably happy getting paid every week yeah you know, a steady income but that really sucks man no well, that's how business rolls yeah i know yeah so there's a couple there's a couple other things that factored into that so one of the big um the, the writing team that Motown had, uh, Holland Dozier and Holland, mm. you know, it was uh, Brian, Brian Holland, Lamont Dozier, and Eddie Holland. They wrote a lot of these other songs, and they get pissed over not getting paid. And, like, they – so they leave Motown. Then you had all those, like, the race riots in Detroit in yeah. the late 60s. So that kind of all contributes to him getting out. But they said, yeah, man. So he moved, like you said, like the Colts. They like some of the the, the Funk Brothers showed up to work, and, the, yeah, and it the was a sign was on my, the door yeah. was locked, and there was a sign on the door that it said "session canceled." Will and then they moved to California, and yeah, session canceled. Will reschedule, and they had no idea. And Jamerson was one of the few guys that went out there with them. Yeah, but he doesn't have all of his his, his brothers from the Snake yeah. Game all, to, like to around them. The, yeah, to give them like confidence, the, the confidence and keep them keep them in line. Yeah. yeah, and so he dies. You know, he dies at a young age. It's the worst thing that. In in the movie Staying in the Shadows of Motown, they they reenact him going to Motown twenty five. And here's a guy that was involved in every single song. And he what Motown twenty five was, if people don't know, Motown twenty five was a special that they celebrated Motown's twenty fifth anniversary. They had every single every single star that you could think of. Michael Jackson did his famous Billy Jean moonwalk on that show. But they did not do anything for the Funk Brothers, and they weren't even invited. Jamerson went out and found a ticket scalper and bought a ticket so like he could, way up in the way nosebleeds. up in the nosebleeds, to, just to be a part of it. The movie has an in, they talked to a couple of the guys, and Joe Hunter was talking, telling a story like he's in like a diner or something. Yeah. And the song something from them comes on and like, he my, my, girl. my girl. Yeah, my girl. And he and tells he, the waitress like, "Oh, you hear that? That's me." And she's like, "Wait, what did I'm like?" And he's like, "Ah, never mind." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he said, um, you know, when the dust cleared and it was all over, we were left out of the dream." Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's like and how what how crushing that's got to be. It's like you wrote all these like everybody knows like dum well, dum dum dum. What's dum, really dum, funny, dum. that's a scale. And he was playing that in a session. And Smokey was like, what is that? He's like, that's nothing. A scale. He's like, no, that's a hit. You want to hear a little bit of that? Yeah, dude. But it's it was a scale.
Yeah, that's, and Joe Hunter was a keyboardist. He's not the guitar player. So, yeah. but but yeah, I but yeah, man, right course. in the beginning of that song, Jamerson just boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Man, he was so expressive behind his notes. The guy, like the drummer. Benny Benjamin was yeah. the other guy that died really young, and he's the other guy in the Hall of Fame. So, like, when you put the two of them together as the rhythm section behind all this great music, it was just like this amazing, sure. amazing stuff. And Benny Benjamin was another dude that, like, he was forty three when he died. He was a drug addict. He did heroin. Uh, so somebody said he would. Uh, somebody from Motown said he would show up at the studio looking like he slept in a coal bin at night. Like he was just a mess. But he also played with like Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters sure. and Charlie Parker. It's a musician's life, like that. Yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah that's right. Music, yeah, it's a musician's life. Let's play. Let's keep on playing songs, man. Where did our love go by the Supremes? We haven't we haven't played anything from the Supremes yeah, yet. Let's, right? let's hear this song. See how creative they got in the studio. The beginning of this track. They're like stomping their feet to make a beat. And like, they were probably like, Smokey was probably sitting there and heard uh, somebody walking across, like, I like how that sounds. I, like, let's bring the microphone in here and, and get the sound of, of you stomping your feet to make the beat for this song to start off with. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. And they were they were just slinging out hits like they were they were slinging out pancakes. They were the most successful band out of everybody out of Motown. They had more. The they sold the yeah, they, yeah. they were the best selling artists at that time. Of, at that time of all time, out of all the Motown yeah. artists, more they than, were the did Jackson Five. Yeah, they were the wow. most. They were huge. They yeah. were wow. huge. You know, there was a thousand better singers than Diana Ross. Mm. You know, Diana Ross. She's she's great for what she is, but what. Her like Martha and the Mandelas, they're they're better. She's a better singer than her. But Diana Ross is a star. Yeah, sure. You she know, looks, yeah, she looks like she, she. Her voice is just okay. You know, it, it's not anything. You think so? I no, it, it's I, just no, okay. I hear you. When we were listening to some music, and I do agree with you on stuff. But earlier stuff, man, it's like groundbreaking. Like it's it's amazing. But I do agree with you. Like later in her career, like when she got in the seventies or anything like that, kind of got like contemporary music, but so did Motown. We'll get in that a little bit later. Yeah. But, um, they, in that beginning, but man, she, she's a rock star. Yeah. She, I think he saw Barry saw out of those three. Okay. These two girls are okay, but this sad. one's something different. Yeah. There's something different about Diana Ross. Yeah. Cause at some point the band, it, it's just, it starts as the Supremes and, and then, then it, it becomes Diana Ross and the, the Supremes. Supremes. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. And I think Barry Gordy had a kid with her. I think they they uh, have a a child again. Really? Yes. Look I it don't up. Know. Look it up. I got. I am going to look it up. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I think that like Barry was like actually like infatuated with her, like just in love with her, her voice, her personality, who she was. <laughs> All Ameri- in love with more than her voice. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. He. Yeah. You know. He fell in love with her. Like America fell in love with her. And you know, matter of fact, I think that he was married when he conceived the child with her. You know, there's a funny. I was watching Motown 25, and. There's a part when everybody comes up on stage and everybody's hugging Barry or like that, and she comes up on yeah. stage and she goes towards him, and I think like Smokey jumps in front of her, yeah, like 
because his wife's there and yeah, shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And Smokey just starts dancing with her, like kind of thing, like to get her away from Barry Gordy. They just had something recently, like, like in the last year, maybe it's two years, where they had another show. And she came up, got off stage, walked right up to him and, and kind of kissed him. I think she kissed him. She's out of her fucking mind. So she didn't, they didn't tell the daughter until she was like 13 that who her her father her was. father really was. Yeah. yeah. It was like, Uncle Barry's coming around. Yeah. I'm on CheatSheet.com yeah, yeah. reading about it. She was working on a movie that he was producing and uh, and they, they had a fling. Huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they had a fling for a million years. And yeah. Then they she just, that movie. And then she just finally got knocked up. Yeah. But that would be like a great movie. You know, all these movies they want to make, like make that love story. Was yeah. it during the Wiz? No, it was uh, <laughs> Lady Lady Day. I never heard of it. Oh, I heard of that. I never seen it, but I heard of it. Lady sings the blues. Okay, movie about uh, Billie Holiday. Okay, so she was okay. She was playing cool. Billie Holiday. Um, I think I like the Wiz better though. Yeah, <laughs> you talk, I want to talk about the movie a little bit. So the movie that the guy put together that Alan Slutsky made, he really fought to get this movie made, and he uh, he had a lot of the, the surviving Funk Brothers like. You know, he's interviewing them, and they're playing music, and they're doing all kinds of this other stuff. And uh, several of them actually passed away between when they started making the movie and before it got released. Mm. And a couple of them, like one guy, he said, like, saw it on his deathbed and stuff. But, like, if you watch that movie and you see them, like, playing, and they had, like, guest musicians and yeah. stuff like that. But they were, like, the expressions on some of their faces... Because they're they're like back together again, yeah, pure joy. It was really really cool, and like I was I was watching it. I had my laptop and I was mm. taking some notes as we're watching it. And I just made like a couple times. I just even wrote like the expression on pistols pistols face as he's playing, like just. But he's like totally. Just, I know exactly just, what you're talking yeah, about. He has a yeah. huge smile. On he's his got face. like a like yeah. a knit sweater on and a and yeah. a, and a uh, like a captain's hat and he's just like yeah. just this big grin on his face because see they were saying they knew how much pain he was in from the cancer that when he was playing the drums but he, he was just like giving it his all you could just like see the happiness in this guy's face and the the other there's another guy the guy's playing piano and they had this everybody kept on laughing when he started making the, the happy faces because they haven't seen anybody that happy ever to be playing music. They, and then everybody start laughing. They have to start all over again. The guy's like, what? Yeah. Stop yeah. making that face. And they yeah. said like they hadn't seen each other in years. Yeah. And you know, like their legacy. So it's like they're getting back together. They're reliving this moment. And they're starting to get the recognition that they yeah. that they deserve. Yeah. And it was just, it was really, really cool. I'm amazed after Barry you know, did his thing and left him in the, in the dust. That some other company didn't come around and just picked all those guys up and like, all right, well, you guys are all now part of a like you know Atlantic now, like no. Atlantic, like and the, just see what they they accomplished. I, I mean, the other I was trying to think of like another like house band, and the only one I could come up with that was like famous at the time was like Stax mm-hmm. had Booker T and the MG, right. and it was like, and you know them, you know they had Green Onions and some other some other songs. I was like, I don't and the Wrecking I, Crew, yeah, and the Wrecking yeah. Crew, and I like I understand what. Barry Gordy was doing. He was trying to make it about the singers and the vocals sure. and the imagery. And you know, if you're trying to have somebody like Diana Ross, like classy, or the the, mm. the temps are in their tuxedos, and then you got these other guys that are like drugs and, and well, that dude, that's that's what it is. Like like even though like you had the Wrecking Crew, you know, at one time some of those guys were making more money than the president of the United States. At, you know, at that point, yeah. these guys could have done the same thing. Somebody could have done the same thing with if these they were guys. organized without. Yeah, you're right. If they were organized without Barry Gordy, this yeah. is before there was a union or any of that yeah. shit. You yeah. know, 
if if they were if somebody was like together enough, no business yeah. to be like, all right, you got to treat us as you treat one of your artists, right? And, you and also, you're you're taking on a bunch of guys that are alcoholics, drug addicts, and God knows what. And I was reading that a lot of these guys thought that the stuff that Motown was putting together was garbage. Wow, like yeah. the, the musicians, yeah. they said like they would get done their their real job, and then they would go out to the jazz clubs and yeah. they would yeah. play like the stuff that they wanted to yeah. play. Yeah. And they just look down upon it. They were like, they all act like all pompous kind of thing. And that's where we we call motherfuckers. Like they, right. they were the they started that thing. Yeah. Be like, oh, it's a he's a funk brother. Well, he's a motherfucker. Yeah. Like that means you can play. Yeah. You know? Let's, just keep, play. let's, let's keep playing some some tunes, man. I'm gonna play a little tracks tracks of my tears. Yeah, go Smokey. for it. So I actually saw Smokey Robinson How was last it? last weekend. Yeah. How was um, it? You took it was mom, good. Right? I took my mom. Hi mom. Took my mom, uh, took my daughter, and, oh, and my wife. Think? She was awesome. Like, I really? mean, we were we saw that he was coming, and I'm I'm texting my mom over the summer, like, "Hey, you want to go see Smokey?" And uh, my sit, my daughter was like, "I want to go see Smokey." Yeah, Robinson. I that's awesome. Like, yeah. like, cool man, dude. He's 81. Yeah, you know how yeah. much longer he's going to be. He I've came, never seen him. Came out in a in a red suit, like a bright red suit, and uh, you know he it, was hitting the notes. He was dancing. He was telling stories. Um, he was bringing. Girls up on stage and yeah. dancing with them. Girls are uh, senior citizens. Senior citizens, okay. right? I mean, somebody, somebody behind me was like, "He's frisky." <laughs> you know, they were they were yelling like, "I love you," and he was, "I love you back." It was cool, man. I mean, I was the youngest one in there by thirty years. Did you know all the songs? Every every single, single yeah. one. Wow. But he did like a melody of like all these songs that he wrote, and it was like you know all like the temps and the four tops and all this kind of stuff. But, that was pretty uh, amazing. Yeah, man. Um, it was like, if he didn't sing it, he either wrote it or produced it. It's amazing. Isn't and it? I, I think the way, I think I heard him, he was on Howard Stern one time and he was telling these stories, like they would come up with a song and it would just be who is coming through the door. And that's who gets the song. Like a lot of that stuff. He'd be like, mm. I got this great idea. Okay, well, this band's out on the road. Oh, the Four Tops are coming in today. They record. Well, they get it. It's their yeah, song. That's a wild. And just like just the hit machine. But like you said, man, it's like it's like the band, and they're the guest vocalists who yeah. just are coming in to do this stuff. Yeah. And it's like if you think of Motown that way, it's a completely different thing. Uh, completely it it different makes thing. the band so much more important. And I'm sure there's other like there's um like other like saw like like Tears of a Clown maybe performed by the Four Tops or like something like necessarily that song. But there's other versions of these songs floating around somewhere out there or maybe barry just burned them all yeah you know? well they also like a lot of these guys were they were all singing back up on each other's yeah. stuff That's like crazy it was like too. this real collaborative kind of thing and even that motown review yeah like the analogy i read it would be like that's like that's like going out today and, and seeing like 15 famous artists all in the same bill like but going on it's not like a Lollapalooza kind of thing right but they're all collaborating yeah. and they're going on tour together. they would say that um a new artist would be coming up and she'd be recording their song and whoever was there was going to be of the background. So like you could be this new artist. You had the one of the four tops backing up, one of the temptations backing up. It was just like, no, everybody was at your exposure. Right. You know, like whatever it took, Barry like made it happen. And it really is. It's a factory of hits. And the fact that they had that much, like it blows my mind that they had like 110 number one hits. Amazing. Like, Let's play smoke in, you dude. Oh yeah. Tracks of our tracks of my tears. Joke or two. Although I might be the 
you know, one thing seeing Smokey too is his voice. If I played the recording of his of that show, his voice sounds exactly the wow, same. Wow, that's he's amazing. Still, he's still hitting those notes. That's satin I mean, voice. He's got a. He came out like a half hour late. We're probably like, oh, he's freshening up the, uh, the Botox in yeah, his face. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Was but it plastic? He, this face oh, dude, plastic? Yeah, he's incredibly, yeah. yeah, he's a little pulled back. But man, yeah. he can still hit it's all amazing. those high notes. He's really amazing. Cool. Now, up until a few years ago, I didn't know how important Smokey was yeah, to he, all this. I never knew up until a couple of years ago that he wrote all these songs. All yeah. That he's such a, like, such a big footprint in Motown. I never knew that. Yeah, he was like the vice president of the company. Yeah, it's crazy. But to look me. at all the, the things he discovered, you know, all the artists that he discovered with Barry Gordy. Yeah. You know? And, and I don't want to, I mean, I glanced over that other writing team that, uh, the wound the Holland Hollands and Dozier, they, you know, they're really, really important too, but we're, we're focusing on the Funk Brothers. Just want somebody to write us in and say we're missing one of the yeah. important, important parts of the story. But, um, yeah, dude, just all this great music. And, it was saying how like um, Barry Gordy didn't want the musicians to be political, and they didn't want to, no. you know, they didn't sing a lot about sex. One thing I thought was interesting was that the, Motown recorded Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech. Really, the entire speech Motown recorded it. And so the speech that we hear today of "I Have a Dream." They recorded that. Yeah, so Motown recorded the entire thing, mm-hmm. and they they put it out as like a as a recording. oh as a record. So so people could like listen a, to it. At so home. people could hear it. How so, about that? Amazing. And they had uh, it, I, other people taped it, but they sure. had the highest quality recording of it. So they're like capturing that that was was going. I never on. heard that before. That's absolutely amazing. And oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was thinking. I wonder if any anybody played from Motown on that day. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't had, a, I don't think they had much music that yeah. day. I think it was just like, like you know. I think speaking. Dylan played it. Really? Yeah, I, I think Dylan I played it. I'm not sure. He might have uh, been there. Like, so they're they're not being political, but kind of near the end of before they leave, uh, before they leave Detroit, is Marvin Gaye doing what's going on? Right, yeah. and that's a political song, right? But, he's but, he's but, looking around at the world and going, "What's going on?" I think that's one of the greatest songs ever, dude. I think it's up there, recording wise, with Pet Sounds. Yeah, there's so many layers of shit going on in that song. There's a lot of great little things. Maybe we could talk about after we play it. Yeah, dude, let's listen to. It. We already played some Marvin Gaye, but we we, I, we could play Marvin Gaye. We could play ten songs by Marvin Gaye. Here we go. There's too many of you to cry, brother, brother, brother. There's far too many of you die. No, we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. Dude, you can listen to that song ten times in a row and just try to focus on different. Like I was just trying. You can't. I was just trying to listen to the bongos and the the real the harmonies in the background. It's an incredibly complex song. His voice is doing so many different things over layered on it. It's it it makes the song. He's doing the la la la's and masterpiece. He's like talking on it. He's uh, actually um, the Detroit Lions are there with him. I forget which players they were, but they're the ones that are talking in the beginning of Hey man, we can go and do Oh no, kidding! I never. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it, amazingly talented person. Another another person just died under like yeah, really. That's how awful. Really, his dad killed him. Yeah, he got in a fight 
His dad yeah. didn't get charged with anything either. They they call it self defense. His yeah. dad and his uh and his mom got in a yeah, Marvin was living at home and and uh he was really screwed up. And gotten a uh, Marvin Gaye like hit his dad or something mm. and his dad said, like, you ever lay a hand on me again, I'll I'll kill you. Yeah. And then his dad was going after his mom or something and Marvin Gaye got involved in it and his dad his dad shot him and, crazy and killed him. Crazy. Yeah. And he wasn't he wasn't that old. I mean I was, was gonna ask you how old was he? I I think he was there was a there's like something on there like the last twenty four hours of Marvin Gaye, and he was like doing drug deals in his house. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He he had drug drug dealers coming over his house. He was acting like in and out of the house all the time. Yeah. Like, heard, all these hanger owners are around, and his dad's like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Yeah, you can't, it's a shame that he couldn't leave that life because obviously he had that life prior to him being like a music, you know, being a musician. But um, it's a shame you can't leave that life. Yeah, he was forty four. Yeah, oh, he's wrapped up in some some just tragic stuff and just yeah. the circumstances upon which would he die? So wild, just, just crazy. And uh, yeah, you're right. And his dad was um, his dad got a suspended sentence because he had like a brain tumor and he died in a he died in a nursing home. Yeah, and he was he was charged with manslaughter. It wasn't it wasn't mur- the murder charge was. was you said let's that give him shit bag of the week. Shit bag of the shit week. Shit bag of the a, week is Marvin, Marvin Gaye's dad. Marvin Gaye Senior. All right, here we go. Shit bag of the week. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so you said so you said there's a there's a documentary about the last twenty four yeah. hours. Where where did you see that? I don't know. I think it was on Netflix or something. I'm gonna have to, I'm there, gonna have to watch it. Was that. Like, that you know, it was like it was like one of the. Um, I don't know, one of those series, like, the last 24 sure. hours of John Lennon. Yeah. Like, you know, the last 24 hours of whoever. Marvin Gaye, the final 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. This is, uh... Oh, you know, I have one other thing I want to talk about with this movie. So the end of the movie... So they had all these guest musicians, and you have one of these songs on the, on yeah. the playlist, and I'm really glad that you put this on here. Mm. So they had some different singers that would come in and, and play. It was like Gerald Levert. Mm. Did some of the songs, but Joan Osborne, I yeah. saw, yeah, was was it. on here, yeah. and she was so She's great. good. I was like, man, it's almost a shame that she had such a hit with that God weird song. that weird song. What I was God like, with one of us, yeah. I was like, dude, because this was. I was listening to it. I listened to it like three times in the car yeah, right now. Blue singer, man. Yeah, like, dude. Yeah, I was she, like, dude, she, she gets yeah. after it, and she fits that sound, that vibe of that song. What becomes of the brokenhearted? It's awesome let's hear a little bit of it yeah i could play this whole song it's really good here She's great, dude. Yeah, she. We. Yeah, I've said this on so many episodes of like music is. It's not about how it sounds; it makes you feel. I get a chill yeah. up my back. Like I, we're just playing it. And I had my eyes closed. Yeah. I'm like getting a little tear. Like, yeah. Could you think about it, man? These guys are like they're finally getting their shot in the spotlight. They're yeah, getting yeah. recognized, and this is the song where you see the look on their faces and they're smiling. And it was just a pure, awesome, really, really cool yeah, man. Go, go look at go this check on YouTube this movie and out. watch this. Standing in the shadows of Motown. It was so cool. And you're right, man. She can sing. Yeah. I've seen Joan Osborne in concert, and she just fucking brings it, man. She, like, you heard it a little bit on there her, when she was grasping. Her voice, like, cracked a little bit. That's where magic's at. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, you know? man. When yeah. you just, you're getting after it. Yeah. Like, and- she's just tearing it up apart, even though it's making her 
vocal scratch up a little bit or like that. They said she went on she went on tour with a couple of the Funk Brothers too. Like okay. she just wasn't Did just she? like a one off. Like a couple of the guys that oh, were still great. around, like yeah, followed her out on the road. And there's there's parts in the movie like she's in a like in a diner or something. Yeah, like, with yeah. a couple of them, and they're all like all yeah. they're all teasing each other. It was just it was just really really cool to hear this story about how they've been overlooked. And then they they got some recognition, and some of them got to hear that before they before they died. Yeah, according to those guys, you know, went their whole lives without anybody patting them on the back. You know, they went and did odd jobs and all this other shit while their music's playing on on a jukebox. Living on forever, living, living, living on forever. forever. People's weddings, and yeah, all this other shit, and they're like working in this working some job somewhere when they should be playing gigs. Yeah, man, we've been talking for about an hour. Why don't we take a five minute break? I think we've got got a couple more tunes we could play, yeah. and then uh, yeah. you know we'll do the news, we'll do the yeah. uh, and all of our other good stuff. All right, we'll be back. Stick around. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. There's something for everyone on the beer list and the jukebox in McCusker's. It's minutes from the sports stadiums in Philly, making it a great place to stop by for a few drinks before or after a concert or a game. Come see for yourself why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy has called it one of the best dive bars in the city. Visit them at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia or on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. from the commercial break thanks so much for sticking with us that was get ready by the temptations that's one of my favorite yeah me too they're one of my yeah. favorite out of motown acts I, you know almost all these songs man i was just thinking about this as we were playing it is like you get that that little beginning before the the lyrics kick in and most of the songs have it you get like that little sample where you can really dive into the music and listen to it without yeah. the vocals over it really I, cool i always get i've been getting a kick out of hearing these intros to the songs usually just a drum like that yeah. that motown Drum fill. Yeah. You know? Um, you're talking about the Temptations. Um, they have a really rough history. They're, they they got a big story behind them. They Their lead singer got all screwed up, and they had multiple different um, singers in, in the band that fronted the band. Um, but they're still around today. Yeah, I think there's only know? one guy left. Yeah. One of the originals is still around. Like You, you see them in commercials. You know, you, you hear this, you hear their songs everywhere. Um, can we play another one of their songs? Yeah, man, of course. Let's play Just My Imagination. My window, I watch her as she passes by. I say to myself, you're such a lucky guy. It's so delicate. Yeah, what? they were really... Um, versatile in yeah. their music you know they can yeah. play that really soft kind of stuff or that you know, yeah there's two songs we just played yeah. are really different styles one of my favorite things to say on the show is that song is some lazy sunday afternoon iced tea drinking yeah Atlantic yeah that's a glass of lemonade yeah that's yeah, a good that's one that's a great that's a great song and you know the temps they, 
all their songs sound different. Like they kind of got like psychedelic when yeah. Papa got a rolling Papa was a Rolling Stone. That kind of was psychedelic, and then they came out with Cloud Nine, mm-hmm. which was a. Uh, Really psychedelic. That's a great song, by the yeah. way. Yeah, That's Cloud Nine is a great song. You know, we always kick around the show ideas, and we did this, you know, the the Ramones versus the Clash, and the Stones versus the Beatles, and one of the ideas we had was like the Four Tops versus the Temptations. Sure. Wow. So it would just be, yeah, you know, the really the Temptations would all day. It would a really really cool uh, topic to dive into. They, there was something on the internet. Maybe it was Motown Twenty Five, and they were both up on the stage at the same time. The oh, temps really? And the the Temptations and the Four Tops, and they were going back and forth, and they were singing each other's songs. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, that's really yeah, cool. It was cool. Yeah, I think the Four Tops were a little bit more like pop, yeah, know, like a more in a like a, a narrower lane than the Temps. Let's hear some Four Tops. Yeah, man. Uh, I can't help myself. Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. Reach out. Reach out. favorite motown song is it no, no, totally yeah. totally so many of these songs listening to i i'm just having flashbacks like yeah. being a kid and having yeah. my parents listen to it on like a saturday night just yeah. that breakdown in that song it's just nobody was doing anything like that like, no they were totally ahead yeah. of their time and it's, and again like how you said in the, the song before this but temptation it's so delicate by itself but it's so powerful mm. you know and of course, you know Levi Stubbs from from the baritone lead singer from the Four Tops. Of course, he was the he was the plant in Little Shop of Horrors. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Audrey feed, too. Feed me Seymour. Right. Oh man, one of my favorite songs, which I did not even know this was a Motown song, was War by Edwin Starr. Yeah, it really doesn't sound like a yeah. Motown. You told but me was, this earlier this week, and I was like, really, this is a Motown song. But like, once you hear it, you hear Jamerson totally is clear as day if mm. you, if if you've been listening to his music like we have in the last week two weeks or so you could probably point it out all right but it's totally 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 the funk brothers and the war can mm. we hear it yeah yeah let's play a little bit of it and let's uh let's listen for it There's so much percussion so in much that music. song. It's like my head was exploding. But there's so much passion in it. The like, bongos like, are killing it. There's, there's a just million. his voice, man. Just, he's killing it. He's killing it. Yeah, I always thought that was like somebody bigger than yeah. Edwin Starr. I, I, you know, his name does not stick to me at all. Yeah. I don't know much. I don't know a lot of other songs but, that he played. No, that he did other than that. But there's like a such powerful song. Like, like we, I know we talked about it in the Springsteen episode, but. When Springsteen does this, man, yeah. he's all, like he tells a story about like you know with his dad, and he runs away, he's talking, calls him on the payphone. Oh, I'm not going to Vietnam. He's like, well, that's good. That's yeah, good. yeah, you it's know? on his uh, live box. Set. Yeah, what a great version that was too. We're playing all these dudes. Let's play um, 
some chicks. Let's play Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Oh, this, this is one of my favorites. Nowhere yeah. to run. Yes, please. Yeah, man, the tambourine's really prominent on that yeah. song. It's it's so it's so iconic. I, like it, that I, sound. I never like you know. There's so many sounds that go on in these songs. Like the tambourine is something that I never really you take it for granted. On. I do. I I'm you know? when we start the episode, you said they had a tambourine player. This was the guy's job. This played a tambourine. And I I start laughing because why not? You know, it's, yeah. it's no, it's you know? it's it went it went together with the clapping. Yeah. You know, it just sounded like an orchestra by itself, the tambourine. And yeah. Jack Ashford, uh, the, the tambourine player, is he's one of the only two guys from the uh, the Funk Brothers who is still alive. Oh, wow. I, I think he actually lives in Philadelphia. Really? Let's get I'm, him on the show. If I'm, if I'm right. I'm going to get him down and come to the bar play the tambourine. He was born in Philadelphia, yeah. He was also one of the guys who, uh, he moved out to L.A. when Motown went out there, but said most of them they did were not. Just, yeah. He yeah, didn't have much to carry. He just got to carry right, a tambourine right, with right, him to suitcase. He's like, I'm here. Yeah. I got my tambourine. Here yeah. I am. Another artist you have on here that is a uh, you know, female would be uh, Mary Wells. Yeah. And my guy. Yeah. Another classic. My Motown guy. Song. My guy was the, was the uh, follow-up to My Girl. Um, they were like, "Oh, my girl! Well, we're gonna make a song called My Guy.' So how you do that? Oh, so it's a shout back. Yeah, like nice. the, the girls, the girls, um, in Motown, they're like, "Well, we're gonna have a song. It's gonna call My Guy." Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, let's hear yeah, it. Ken Barry's like, "Cha ching." <laughs> Funny, right? It's that was great. Yeah, yeah. Simple song. Yeah, just, man. You know, simple lyrics, simple rhyme scheme. Do you think Diana Ross was like, "Why did I get to sing that <laughs> right. song?" Yeah, I want that. I want that song. I want it. I want. I want another hit. Um, guys, I told you my story about meeting the Funk Brothers, didn't I? You, you know what, man? You, mentioned, you, it, you yeah. mentioned it in the notes, and uh, we were prepping this week, so I, yeah, I need to hear this story. No, it's very simple. Um, about 20 years ago, when the Standing in the Shadows of Motown came out, um, they were on tour. They played the Keswick Theater. And when they, the night before they played the Keswick, they stayed at the Holiday Inn that I used to play out in Cherry Hill. Um, these six, seven, eight dudes come in, older guys. They sit down, and they're just glued to us. They're, they're watching us all night, playing blues or whatever we were playing. I'm sure we even played My Girl. We probably played a few other Motown songs. Um, they didn't say anything to us or whatsoever. So they left. And the guy, my buddy goes, you know who that was? I was like, who? He's like, that's the fuck, 
fucking fuck brothers, man. And I was like, get the hell out of here. And I was like, I know of them, but you know, barely know. I'm like, what the hell are they doing here? It's like they're playing a gig. I mean, they're still playing gigs. That's amazing. So like they sat there all night and watched us play. And like for them, this I don't know if they they had nothing else to go back to their hotel room <laughs> or who knows. There's only bar around. Yeah, right. but they sat and watched this all night. And you that's know, amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. That's a really, that's yeah. a really cool story. Yeah, I mean they were all older dudes. This was like 20 years ago. Yeah, they it was, but they all like look like they smile. They're all looking back at each other. Like give go oh, wow, these kids can play. You that's know? awesome, man. That's a yeah. really cool story. Yeah, it was it was the first time I've heard of. The Funk Brothers, yeah. per se, I ran out and, and rented the movie, and I was like, wow, these guys were it. Yeah. They, they were the reason why Motown was so iconish. I don't think, I don't think Barry Gordy would have made it through if it wasn't for these guys. Yeah, I, absolutely. Motown would not be what they no. what they are no. without these guys, and it was it was great that they finally started to get a little bit of recognition. And I thought it was interesting. They're also the backing band on Boom Boom by John Lee Hooker. Yes, they said that they did. Yeah. They did some moonlighting, and that was one of the one of the gigs that, it's they, true. that they had. Yeah. Now, let's, let's, now that I know that it's them, I want to hear. All right, let's if pull I can it place it. down red all for your feet take you home with me put you in my house So expressionist. I love, I love John Lee Hooker, man. I love me some John Lee Hooker. I, I, I love how he sounds. It's like whatever that, that day, whatever his guitar sounds <laughs> yeah. like, that's what he sounds like. I love that you said that story, the blues. I was like, what key are we playing in? This one. The, <laughs> the John Lee Hooker's <laughs> key. Whatever you wake up that, and you pull your guitar out, whatever it sounds like, that's the key we're playing in. Uh, we got anything else? Yeah, man. Motown? Yeah, let's play. Fucking Jackson 5, man. We didn't talk anything about the Jackson but 5. The, the Funk Brothers don't play on uh, any of their stuff. They but... don't play anything on there. Yeah. Can we play Ain't No Mountain High Enough? Sure. One more song. Let's play one more song by these dudes. Yeah, man. No matter how far. Don't worry, baby. Just call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry. Cause baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. I always think of Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. when I hear that song now. Yeah, she was she was a sad story, man. Like she um she died. She was like twenty four. She died of cancer. Oh wow! And she was really like the the Motown wanted to make her kind of like his counterpart to kind of help keep him in line. And it was like a, a like a not a muse, but just they were supposed to be like a team and doing a whole lot of stuff. And when she died, um, you know, she died of cancer. Marvin Gaye got, they said, like, her death pushed him into, like, start doing drugs oh, really? and, and would kind of, like, he never got over it. And that was a part of the what ultimately led to his death. That's a shame. Were they and, romantically involved? No. I think they were just, um. Maybe, like, maybe he started doing drugs with her. Maybe he I, felt like 
maybe he felt like uh, responsible. She um she was engaged to uh, oh man what was it uh, David Ruffin from the Temps. Okay, and uh, I, there was like a whole mess like at her funeral. Like her family uh, w- wouldn't let anybody from Motown come except for Marvin Gaye. So oh, it was this whole like that. acrimonious kind of thing. But um, he said she you know, she fighting cancer. She was. Her hair fell out. She was in a wheelchair, and she was only twenty four. Wow! Wow! So, yeah, and uh, she did a couple a couple songs with Marvin Gaye, and was supposed to be like, you know, the two of them mm-hmm. becoming this like duo of, of artists. I mean, it's there. It's awesome. Sure, I mean, it's the, there. the chemistry between the two of them singing is great. But yeah, they probably was, could have made a whole album together. Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned the Jackson Five being on Motown. You know, like uh, some of the, the I guess the the biggest contemporary artist that came out of Motown. Was Boys to Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, their first album was released under on Motown, and and Motown still exists. It's still sure. a thing. Yeah, you know, they got um, they they the company got sold in '88 or got acquired in '88. It's been kind of like passed around and yeah, know, parts of a bunch of different stuff. It was part of um, like Island Def Jam for a while, mm-hmm. and then wow. when, when that folded, it's now owned by Capital, and it's still based in based in L.A. But you know, obviously nowhere near the yeah, yeah, nowhere near the impact yeah. and. And like they're in eighties and everything like that. Since we we move forward, like a lot of their music that they put out because we listened to some of it is really contemporary all, music, like the Lionel yeah. Richie stuff and like in the Commodores and all that other stuff. Yeah, that's I mean, a good point that the com- we wouldn't even talk about yeah, them. Yeah, but know, it's another- like, it, but it's they they this was their heyday that we were talking about before they went to California. Besides the Jackson Five, you know that was that was a big big deal. You know they got that that Beatlemania thing going on with the Jackson Five, but I really feel that. They lost their their edge, like when they got into when like the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. yeah, you know who we didn't play anything by Stevie Wonder. Oh, how can we you? Didn't play, let's play some My Sharia Moore. What year did that song come out? 1969. No kidding, man. I thought that song when it came out in the 70s. Yeah, so that's That another, blew my mind. So that's in Detroit. That's, that's amazing. There. Dude, Stevie Wonder's before, way before yeah, his time. Yeah, well, when he first joined Motown, he was little Stevie Wonder. Sure, yeah. You know, he had a bunch of hits, but he, you know, he grew as a musician, as a person, you know, I, through Motown, they gave him the space to make magic. Yeah. yeah. You ever see the old videos of him as a kid, him going on stage, or they help him up on the stage, and yeah. he just... Kills just it. kills it. He just kills really, it. really talented musician. You know the one thing too, like we we, we played what's going on, and I I didn't I forgot to bring this up. That is the first song where the Funk Brothers are even mentioned anywhere on the like they're in the liner notes that they're the musicians wow. on it. So Marvin Gaye insisted on giving them some some nice. some credit. Nice. So shout out. <laughs> doesn't even remember uh, right, being yeah, there. Right. He's like, I played what? Right. <laughs> Who? But like with uh, Stevie Wonder when he was a kid when he was just showing up in the Motown in Detroit, he would just, like, behind the drum set. He's like, I want to learn how to play this. I want to learn how to play that. Like, he really, like, just, he was just a natural talent, He was just man. a natural talent. Just, he just played it. There's something, if it can be played, he plays it, man. Yeah. yeah. But they said he was all over the place. He was just interested in everything, wanting to learn every instrument that was available to him. Yeah, I mean, if he can do that, being blind, 
What the hell is your excuse? I got zero. I got zero. Right. He even plays the harmonica. Right. Right. He probably he could play the tambourine too. I'm sure he did. He played tambourine on his own music. He had nobody coming in. Right. Is that it? Let's play one more song. What do we got? One more song. It's the same old song. Man, you just, I, I'm just, I'm hearing all this other stuff that he just never, because you, you know, you hear the music and, you know, you hear that song at a wedding and you're just, you're dancing you just along. Dance. Yeah. I, you know, sitting here listening to these songs with a headset on, you really get a different vibe of it. Maybe at home, you, you guys out there, put on Motown, put your headset on, you can hear all this amazing stuff we're hearing in the background. Yeah, man, just how complex yeah. it is and how, like, layered it That's is. That's a good word, textured. complex it was. Yeah, yeah you're right. It, it wasn't just a song. It was a, a like a equation yeah. to how to make right, a song. Man. These are these are works of art. They're not. Absolutely. I mean, even like I mean, rock and roll is four guys, maybe five guys. Yeah. And this one, you got thirteen. Yeah. You know, eight or nine, like three guitars, two drummers. Like yeah. just how complex it is. The uh, these songs are some of these songs are in the Congress of the yeah. Library of Congress. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know. Yeah. But these songs are timeless. Like like you said, like oh, you go to a wedding, you go to a block party, some some whatever. These songs are timeless. I don't consider these songs to be old. These songs, every time I hear them, I still get like they're like sixty five years old. I know, dude. but still, yeah. to me, they're not though. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like oh, I remember like you hear some rock and roll song. Oh, I remember I, when I first heard the song. Like a lot of these songs, yeah, I do remember that, but I don't think that way. Like, maybe it's because maybe you didn't live through it. Maybe like, you have your own memories of these songs. Yeah, but it's just like know? it's still fresh to me. Like it's just like just what you said. Like listening to stuff with your headphones on. Like it's still fresh. Yeah. All all great stuff, man. Yeah, what a great what a great topic this was. Really cool. All right, we I guess yeah, we're gonna man. move on. Yeah. All right, let's. We got business to take care. Yeah, of. Yeah, I got uh, I got some second thoughts. So we got two emails from Jackie in Seattle this week. So Jackie. So first, she chimed in on our road trip episode, which we did with a live audience at McCusker's. Fellas, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. One more song came to mind while I was listening when you were driving it at night and it's dark. Ride On by ACDC. On and on and on and on. Nice. So nice good. Great song. Nice. Let's play a little bit of it. Sure. This one's for you, Jackie. But I ain't too young to worry. Mine too old to cry. When a woman gets me down. Got another empty bottle. That is a definitely driving groove yeah. song. Yeah, I always like that song because it's it's away from that whole ACDC like equation over like the math, top. Math, yeah, like it's just like it's a blues song. Hey, That's a great guys, song, Jackie. We talked about maybe doing like ACDC versus Zeppelin or something. Like we could do ACDC versus ACDC. Like, you know, <laughs> which song? Like, which which singer's better? Yeah, I, I take Bon Scott. Oh, I do okay, too. Well, okay, yeah, we're, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we don't need. To do that. I love like, <laughs> Ryan Johnson. Like you know, but like. No, you know Bon, bon Scott. Scott. Bon no. Scott, it's just dirtier music. Yeah. It's just yeah. great. And I, I love Brian Johnson too, but yeah. Um, and then she emailed us uh, later about the Guitar Picks episode. Fellas, 
You Guys Rule. I was listening to the Top 6 Guitarist episode, So Damn Good. Reminded me of a beautiful song by Ozzy released last year called Ordinary Man. It's a goodbye thank you song to the fans. Slash and Duff play on this epic track featuring Elton John on the second verse. Nice. Wow. So we play a little bit of that too. Do you, do you guys know this song? No. Yeah. I don't either. I like it. Yeah, it's different. It's a yeah. video, man. I just, you know, so I I got the computer in front of me and just clicked on it in YouTube, and it's a video of him like now sitting here yeah. watching like, old videos of himself. It almost reminded me of, like a the Hurt video by Johnny Cash when he's mm. watching all the old clips of himself. So if you're an Ozzy fan out there, Jackie, like they just released a version of Hellraiser. Now you have Lemmy wrote that song, so they just released a version of the song with Lemmy singing verses, some verses, and Ozzy singing some there you verses. Go. So I haven't yet heard it. The Blue Meanie told me about it last night, so I'm okay. very excited to hear it. So, Jackie, listen to it and tell us what you think. Awesome. Always great to hear from you, Jackie. Thanks for the emails. We got a ton of feedback on having the warden Rob Owens Rob on Owens. the show last week. People just loved hearing the legend on <laughs> the our le- show. <laughs> I, uh, Matt Friend from Philadelphia. I loved hearing the warden on the show with you guys. Once I heard his voice, I recognized him from McCuskers. I think I've talked to him about football at the bar. Please have him on again. On yeah. Twitter, Pizza Slice two two seven said, "More warden, please." Nick Wilson from Chicago. Hey guys, I liked ha- I liked hearing you have a guest on the show. You should have more people on. Garcon from Quebec. Bonjour, messieurs. More of Monsieur <laughs> Rob. The warden was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Billy Bob from Texas. Howdy, fellas. I tell you what, that there Rob Owens had me jumping in my seat like a rattlesnake in my cowboy boot. Woo. That kid got talent. Yeah, so, that's so funny. We'll, we'll have to have Rob on again sometime. I think we could just have Rob in the background for every episode. <laughs> have him cracking beers. <laughs> right. Rob, what do you think? No, he's the warden. He's got to yeah. watch over he's us. He's watching over us. Very so. true. Not a bad idea. Uh, music news. I got a couple music news things. First, uh, the Nevermind anniversary. So the surviving members of Nirvana are honoring the 30 year anniversary of Nevermind by issuing a deluxe edition of the album that will have 94 tracks on it, including 70 previously unreleased cuts. The set will include four complete live shows. The Super Deluxe package is hitting retail in May of 2022 and is $260. Jesus Christ. You can pre-order it this on Nirvana's website. Dave Roll, this Dave Roll wants his money. Dave Roll wants his money. If you can't wait that long, there's a remastered version of the album coming out in November. Dave Grohl also said he's considering or would consider changing the artwork for the album as part of the re-release after that guy, after that kid sued him. I put a, yeah, I put a diaper on him. <laughs> but like, there's a, actually on there. There's a live before a whole concert on. I there. think it's a couple. Yeah, in this, oh, is this box set. Yeah. yeah, so everything's being released as like live yeah, stuff. Jesus. It's not like unknown, unknown stuff. I'm just gonna listen to it on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tina Turner sells her music catalog. Really, Tina Turner sold the rights to her music catalog to BMG for fifty million dollars. The deal covers 12 albums and hit songs like Private Dancer and What's Love Got to Do With It. BMG already, that's actually part of their strategy is they buy the rights for artists. Yeah. So they own own, uh, some of Mick Jagger's stuff. They own 
They own the publishing rights to material from The Stones, The Beatles, Iron Maiden, Fleetwood Mac, Nirvana, and Bowie. Wow, wow. And they said that they're, they have more announcements coming in the next couple weeks. So $50 million. Do you think that's a lower number than I would imagine? But it, maybe I just hold her up too high. The Dylan's was like $300 million. Yeah. I mean, yeah. She, but $50 they, million? And they also got the like the, the right to manage her like her likeness. I mean, she's she's 81. Sure. She's well, they still, got, great, though. They have yeah. a play out of her. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're probably... And whatever. Yeah. I I was reading somewhere that like Dolly Parton's in negotiation to sell all her publishing rights and she said it had something to do with like estate planning and stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's like yeah. some some tax implication or yeah. something. I mean it's, yeah, Tina Turner made that with that movie that just came the out recently. Just the documentary out. was yeah. kind of yeah. like her, her goodbye good. to the yeah. fans. That and was everything. great. Yeah. I loved it. I haven't seen it yet. It's really good. Oh, I you think you watch, watch it. Oh, check yeah, it it's out. fantastic. And then uh the Super Bowl twenty twenty two halftime show. So the NFL, Pepsi, and Jay-Z announced that this year's uh, Super Bowl halftime show, Kendrick Lamar, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, and Eminem. The lineup has a combined 43 Grammy Awards and over 100 million albums sold between them. This is the closest thing to classic rock you're ever going to see at a Super Bowl ever again, in my opinion. And, And if anybody, I'm trying to find a prop bet for the Super Bowl that we see a hologram of Tupac, Tupac. Showing, doing California Lovin'. And you, then you have, Dre, I'm sorry, Cube's going to come out. And Cube's going to come out of a birthday cake. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> a Super happy Bowl. happy birthday, Mr. President. And then, yeah. Or whatever. And then MWA's going to show up and Eminem, Eminem's going to do Easy E's parts. Well, you, and you know what? you Is this for real? Yeah. No, no. This, this is, is my what, prediction. That's, his, oh. that's the dream in his oh. head. Yeah. Oh. But I mean, they... When you said the dream you, in my head, you you'll said, see it's going to happen. Oh no, it will happen. You said that earlier in the week about uh, Tupac, and I was like, yeah, okay, it's been, but it's, it's been, been done. It's been ten years. Yeah, it's like the ten year anniversary or whatever that was. The Grammys or no, it, it was like Coachella. Coachella, Coachella, yeah. Coachella. I'm sorry. And also last year, remember the Super Bowl? They had that weird like the hologram of Vince Lombardi walked out and was talking to everybody. Yeah. So it's like. There's a precedent there. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. see. I'm, I'm sure you'll find. Hey a man, it's got to be better than last year's friggin' show. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember last year. Uh, it was uh, the, the, the weekend. weekend. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know who that is. I still don't know who that is. We're sitting there like, what is this? Yeah. All right, man. So that's that's music news, and then uh, time for the electric chair. Yes. The electric chair is sponsored by our really great friends over at Lunacy Brewing Company. They're at 1500 West Kings Highway in Haddon Heights, New Jersey. You can check them out on social media or at lunacybrewingcompany.com. Ryan, I believe it is your turn to kill a song. You know, it's been a while. Now that we've been on on um, Patheon, our own little thing here, we've been doing it for a year now. It's crazy, isn't it? Our first song that we killed off in the electric chair was an R.E.M. song. So I think it's time for another R.E.M. Yes. song to go to the electric chair. And I'm going to pick Shiny Happy People. Oh, my God. Okay. I hate this song so much. This I just remember a- this stupid video. This is the reason why I hate oh, this Oh, God. They fucking, and, that- and what's his name sings in it, too? The bass player? Oh, he's a shiny, happy people. The, the drummer's got this dumb look on his face he's like he's like i'm quitting this band and, uh, <laughs> and they all who the the girl from the b52s yeah. is yeah. in it the video michael stipe's got this dumb hat michael stipe just wears he like always has a, he always has a dumb hat i was he's saying this last time about the dumb hat i can't stand them this song this song sucks this song is yeah, so I mean, fucking this song's terrible yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't even know what they're trying to 
They're talking about shiny happy people. They're not trying to be they're, cute. They're not trying to like. I don't think it's being it's, tongue think, in cheek. I think he's just being weird, Michael Stipes. Yeah, like only like, I know what it means. What a fucking jerk off. Yeah, kill I it. Could kill it. We sentence you to death. Yeah, shiny dead people. Dead, dead, dead. Sorry, Michael Stipes. Stinks. Michael God. stinks. Awful. I need mouthwash after that. Blech. All right, man. So that's it. So thanks every everybody who's been listening to us and supporting us. As Ryan just said, uh, we've been doing this for a year. It's been a lot of fun, man. I've learned a lot about music. I yeah. I didn't know the story of the Funk Brothers, you know, and just mm. a lot of the other topics that we've done. I've either learned something completely new, or I've experienced a lot of this music in a different way that I haven't done before, and it's been really cool. It's been really fun. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a, a great thing to do i mean um i keep on saying that it's a great hobby for to have sure it's we're talking to people out there and obviously people are listening to us so that's yeah. that's pretty cool yeah we have listeners all over the world it's it's a pretty rad thing man yeah man it's it's been it's been a lot of fun um you know if you love the motown sound we put a playlist together to go with every episode uh has all the songs we played clips on and there's a link in the show notes and if you love us as much as we love you, consider checking us out on social media or hit that follow button on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. We do have a couple of reviews on Apple. They're all. They're oh, all do we? I think we're all. We all have all five oh. star reviews. Really? Uh, yeah. Very nice. And I, I didn't. With leave, your kids, the I, one that did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, "Do you guys want to eat tonight? You're going to go leave. Uh, leave us a good. A, yeah. You know, but if you have comments or thoughts about the show, you can find us. We're on Facebook and Twitter. We're online at Prisoners of Rock and Roll. We're online at prisonersofrockandroll.com, and you can email us at prisonersofrockandroll at gmail.com. And, of course, if you're ever in Philadelphia, you can stop by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. Ryan and Doug would love to talk to you, and they'd probably even give you a couple stickers. So that's it, man. We'll be back in two weeks. All right, everybody. Keep on rocking. Peace out. I'm just a prisoner!